0: See, on Tuesday at the White House, we celebrated the International Day of the Girls. And I had the pleasure of spending hours talking to some of the most amazing young women you will ever meet, young girls here in the U.S. and all around the world. And we talked about their hopes and their dreams. We talked about their aspirations. See, because many of these girls have faced unthinkable obstacles just to attend school, jeopardizing their personal safety, their freedom, risking the rejection of their families and communities. So I thought it would be important to remind these young women how valuable and precious they are. I wanted them to understand that the measure of any society is how it treats its women and girls. I told them I told them that they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and I, I told them that they should disregard anyone who demeans or devalues them and that they make, they should make their voices heard
1: in the world. Welcome to the Fragmented Whole where we piece together the news and self. I'm your host Amarachi Anakronye and I'm honored to share this weekly podcast series with you. The Fragmented Whole examines the isms and phobias that unite and divide us, interpersonally, interpersonally, and geographically. In each episode, we examine how these ideological frameworks play out in current events and pop culture, and hopefully gain a deeper understanding of how we, one, see and treat ourselves, two, see and treat others, and three, act as social agents of change. The opening remark for today's episode was made by former First Lady Michelle Obama along the 2016 presidential campaign trail. This speech in particular was made in response to an interview found of then-presidential candidate Donald Trump bragging about sexually assaulting women. Ironically, this week, We recognize the International Day of the Girl, a youth-led social justice movement that aims to combat gender inequities through an intersectional lens, while also empowering the youth as social agents of change. We also recognize a major scandal where a white, wealthy, and powerful man was allegedly accused of sexually assaulting and coercing women. Over the past week, we have witnessed how the narratives of women, particularly those of color, have revealed long-held sentiments of misogyny and racism. In this week's episode, by analyzing such topics as the hashtag women boycott Twitter movement and the counter protests of hashtag women of color affirmation, we'll explore how these sentiments of women of color have been undermine, undermined and silenced, systematically and more importantly, how women of color have resisted such silencing. In order to get our discussion about these digital protests and their larger implications started, let's set a landscape for where these boycotts ignited. Like political commentator, Bill O'Reilly, Fox television executive, Roger Ailes, and businessman and television personality, Donald Trump, Harvey Weinstein, Hollywood producer and former CEO of The Weinstein Company, has been alleged by a number of Hollywood actresses of sexual abuse and accused of covering it up with money for nearly two decades. My mom always says what's done in the dark will come to the light. And Weinstein's dark sexual history is coming to the light. I hesitate when making comparisons because at the end of the day, no means no and all forms of sexual abuse are wrong no matter what background the perpetrator victim or survivor aligns with men and women can be perpetrators victims and survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse and and perpetration is not just limited to cis-bodied cisgendered able-bodied heterosexual men and women now just to play devil's advocate I know such black male celebrities as Bill Cosby and R. Kelly have been involved in allegations of habitual sexual coercion of women. They are privileged with wealth and fame, and and I'd argue their fame and what it symbolizes, particularly Bill Cosby's with The Cosby Show, has afforded them continued success, which is problematic in and of itself, but this discussion is also another episode in and of itself. Let's take a rain check on this topic. Unlike the aforementioned black and white male celebrities, many black heterosexual males, particularly those without the privilege of fame and media manipulation, have been wrongly accused of sexually assaulting women due to oversimplified historical stereotypes of black males as sexual perpetrators. Whether wrongly or rightfully accused of sexual assault, Many black males are not afforded the privilege that many white males have due to their race and receiving a second chance, let alone having the audacity to ask for one and actually be supported in obtaining another opportunity to redeem their professional reputations and social rapport. Let's take a listen of what what I call second chance requests or what I also like to call, excuse my French, I don't give a damn. I'm a, I'm a powerful man. Request.
2: We're glad to see you're doing okay.
1: Thank you. Guys, I'm not doing okay. You're not? I'm trying. I gotta get help, guys. You know
3: what? We all make mistakes. Second chance, I hope. Okay?
0: This tape is generating intense interest. In just 48 hours, it's become the single most talked about story of the entire 2016 election on Facebook with millions and millions of people discussing it on the social network. As we said a moment ago, we do want to bring in questions from voters around the country via social media. And our first stays on this topic. Jeff from Ohio asks on Facebook, Trump says the campaign has changed him. When did that happen? So, Mr. Trump, let me add to that. When you walked off that bus at age 59, were you a different man, or did that behavior continue until just recently. And you have two minutes for this. I told
2: you, that was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I am a person who has great respect for people, for my family, for the people of this country. And certainly I'm not proud of it. But that was something that uh, happened. If you look at uh, Bill Clinton, far worse, minor words, and his was action. His was what he's done to women. There's never been anybody in the history of politics in this nation that's been so abusive to women. Now that we've gotten
1: that out the way, let's talk statistics about sexual perpetrators and victims, survivors demographics. According to the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network, 57% of rape perpetrators are white. 50% of rape perpetrators are 30 and older. And one out of every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime compared to one out of every 10 males. Harvey Weinstein falls right into the statistics of being a perpetrator of sexual abuse. Among the actresses that shared their experiences of alleged sexual abuse by Weinstein were Angelina Jolie, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Beckinsale, Ashley Judd, and Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan, famous for her role on the television show, Charmed, issued a number of tweets about being raped by Weinstein. One of her tweets included a private phone number, which went against Twitter's terms of service and resulted in the temporary suspension of her account for 12 hours. In response to her account's brief suspension, the hashtag women boycott Twitter movement was born. While McGowan did break Twitter's terms of service, Allegations of sexual assault should never be silenced, and there were a number of alternative ways Twitter could have responded to her. Despite Twitter's treatment of the situation, I struggled to feel sympathy for McGowan, not in regards to her allegation of experiencing sexual abuse, but in regards to the hashtag women Twitter movement, which stood on the pro of boycotting Twitter on Friday, October 13th. This movement was based on one individual's experience of silencing and mistreatment, and that individual happened to be a white, famous, and wealthy woman. I am definitively and unapologetically revealing my bias when I say that women of color have been silenced and marginalized for centuries globally, particularly in the United States of America. While I do not align with hashtag women boycott Twitter movement, I did stand in solidarity with the hashtag women of color affirmation movement and the sentiments of such black female figures as Ava DuVernay, Amy Saul, and the hashtag creator April Rain. When we look at such other movements as say, feminism or white feminism, women of color, particularly women of the African diaspora, have always stood at the margins and have not been recognized or placed as key stakeholders in mainstream movements. Women of color have always had to carve out separate and custom spaces for ourselves. And because of this, the world has been gifted with such ideologies as womanism. In the same light, The women of color affirmation hashtag was created to shine a light on how many black women and women of color in general have been silenced in the mainstream, but have not been offered the same showings of camaraderie, sisterhood, and support as our white female counterparts. Furthermore, when it comes to narratives of sexual assault and strategies of support and healing in the aftermath, silence should be broken not promoted. Two prime examples of women of color that are survivors of institutional attempts of silencing in regards to their use of Twitter are comedian and actress Leslie Jones and sports commentator Jamel Hill. Let's rewind. In July and August 2016, Leslie Jones' Twitter account was viciously trolled with misogynistic and racist remarks based on her role in the all-female cast remake of Ghostbusters. Jones publicly shared the comments she retrieved from trolls she received from trolls, reached out to Twitter administrators to assist in the regulation of the trolls, and temporarily signed out from Twitter due to the abuse she received. She can tell her narrative better than I can. So let's take a listen. You had a very uh, traumatic week. You are very active on Twitter.
3: I'm active on Twitter. You had a very hard week. A lot of people started attacking you on Twitter, using some pretty awful terminology. Terrible. And uh, I was very proud of you. Knowing you, I knew you'd stand up for yourself when that happened. And then you used Twitter as a forum to draw attention to it. And, uh... I mean, it seems like maybe some maybe this is gonna be the beginning of some progress towards what happens on Twitter. I hope so. I mean, first of all, let me let everybody know that I did not leave Twitter, okay? You're back. Yeah, I didn't leave. I just signed out because I wanted to deal with what was going on. Yeah. And then I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I was like, they said I left Twitter. Wait. <laughs> I didn't I didn't leave. But um but you know, it was one of those type of things of like uh Uh, The insults. What's scary about the whole thing is that the insults didn't hurt me. Unfortunately, I'm used to the insults. That's unfortunate. But what scared me was the injustice of a gang of people jumping against you for such a sick cause. Yeah. I mean, it was like, like, I mean, they just, like, everybody has an opinion, and it all comes at you at one time. And they really believe in what they believe in. Yeah. And it's so mean. Like, it's so gross and mean and unnecessary. So it was just like one of those things of like, okay, so if I hadn't said anything, nobody would have ever knew about this. Yeah, It would have never... Uh, all those people still would have an account. And it was one of those things of like, hey, you know, when I, th- when I approached Facebook, they was on it. Twitter, I was on them. I was like, yo, It's Okay, it's like, that's my favorite restaurant. I love the food there. Three people just got shot in front of me. (laughs) Y'all need to get some security. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a lot of really smart people at that company, and they really need to try to start sorting out not just how to protect people like you, but the people that don't have this public forum because I think it happens to so many people. And And I met The CEO of Twitter. There is a CEO. His name. It's just Jack. That's it. That's famous when you can just have the one name. That's good. Jack. Yeah. He was cool. He was cool. They helped me out. That's good. We got like a whole bunch of accounts, you know, uh, taken off
1: of Twitter. You see the problem with silence. Had Leslie not said anything, nobody would have ever known, and change would have not occurred. Now. There was a hashtag created in support of Leslie's cyber harassment. Y'all remember hashtag StandWithLeslie? And Twitter did eventually ban the trollers while also establishing policy changes with the enhancement of quality filters. But the outpouring of solidarity by women to ban around Leslie's unjust treatment does not relatively compare to what was promoted for actress Rose McGowan. Moving right along, let me first say that I'm not the biggest sports head but I am a huge fan of social justice, and I'm loving how the intersection between sports and politics is becoming more prominent. I love it even more that athletes of color are leading this movement, particularly when their words and actions are informed and grounded. These players and sports commentators are role models and more importantly, human beings, and their narratives matter. Last week, Jamel Hill was suspended by ESPN for two weeks for violating their social media guidelines. On October 9th, Hill tweeted on her personal Twitter account that NFL fans should not view football players on teams with national anthem policies as, quote, sellouts for following such mandates. For fans with such sentiments, she suggested that they stop buying the team's merchandise and watching the television games as a strategy of gaining the attention of the the team owners in a language they understand. Can we say economics? Hill specifically tweeted that she was not, quote, advocating an NFL boycott, unquote. Her tweets call attention to a larger narrative of how the individual actions of athletes are ultimately restrained by a larger and more powerful institution, the NFL and its team owners, no matter what their personal beliefs and politics are. Let's be real. Even though Hill did not call for a complete boycott of the NFL, the NFL is a corporation. And any call for restricting dollar bills or viewership is and of itself a form of boycotting however whether Hill intended for it or not backlash backlash was sure to come from such an assertive stance beyond her defense of nfl players i think the power of Hill's tweets are the agency as she compel nfl viewers and fans to assume and in the protests of teams that do not give their players the freedom to abstain from standing for the national anthem as a First Amendment right. I think Leslie Jones said it best. Hate speech and freedom of speech are two different things. And a call for people to think and act for themselves is not unpatriotic, undemocratic, or hateful. When the leader of our nation exercises his freedom of speech by promoting putrid rhetoric of hate under a guise of nationalism and patriotism. But he gets away with it because of his wealth, his gender, his race, and his power. It is movements like hashtag women of color affirmation that brings to light how we must unite in solidarity over the causes of people of color who have been historically ridiculed by the media and silenced by institutions and policies to eliminate our personal agency and promotion of collective mobilization. Now, this episode has been all about the resistance of color, of women of color, to institutional and systemic silencing. And I couldn't wrap up this episode without shining a light on Congresswoman Nydia Velasquez. Last week, we discussed the minimal assistance of the Trump administration to Puerto Ricans, American citizens in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Congresswoman Velazquez had a few choice words for Housing Secretary Ben Carson to pass along
2: to Trump. Let's take a listen. To kick fellow citizens when they are down is shameful. I'm the only member who is a Puerto Rican-American citizen who sits in this committee. So since I don't have the pre- President Trump uh, in front of me, I just would like for you to let him know how shameful all the tweets that he put out this morning, how offended and insulted I am as an American citizen. And uh, I would like to suggest that the President gets some history lessons regarding the Puerto Rican relationship with the United States. In 1898, American troops invaded Puerto Rico. American troops took over Puerto Rico. So Puerto Ricans didn't invite the United States Armed Forces, it was invaded. So with that invasion comes responsibility. In 1917, American citizenship was imposed on Puerto Ricans timely so that they could join the armed forces and fight in World War I. So those tweets are unprecedented. The most basic fundamental responsibility of the President of the United States, the President of the most powerful country in the world, is to show up and make and provide the assistance and the relief that American citizens need. They don't need this type of insult. And by the way, why is it that he doesn't put the same to it when it comes to Texas? Or Florida.
1: Huh. Continued food for thought. I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode of The Fragmented whole as we explore the ties that unite and divide us to ourselves, our peers, and the environment. Shout out to Marsha Lee's Jedi for the music used throughout this episode and Squarespace for the website design and assistance. I'd also like to reference the Seth Meyers show and the Wendy Williams show as sources for the sound clips. Be sure to follow The Fragmented Hole on Facebook and Instagram IG at thefragmentedhole w-h-o-l-e and twitter at fragment underscore whole. you can also find this info on the official website www.thefragmentedhole.com you can also follow me on instagram ig at hella underscore chic that is c-h-i-c and facebook at amarachianacronye Tune in next Monday for the next installment of The Fragmented Hole as we piece together the news and self. Until next time, I'm Amarachi, a fragmented whole, and I'm signing out. Be safe, y'all.